Nice. Well, well, let's let's see. I I uh, I did my best to sort of research you guys a little bit. You know, like stock on Twitter, that sort of thing. Uh, there's only so much you can discover in uh, you know in a few hours of of trying to track someone down that way. So I'd love to hear from you both uh, who you are, how you know each other. Because I know Cammy, you were quick to suggest Connor as like you know joining on this. So so uh, yeah, maybe let's just maybe let's just start with like quick uh, quick background. Does that work? Yeah, I can go first. Sweet. Um, quick background. Awesome. So my name is Cammy. My name is Camila. I go by Cami. I've been in crypto for like a year and a half now. Um, I got involved because before I was an engineer in Web2, I worked on payments at PayPal around the time that they were developing their Venmo crypto wallet. And this was also like mid to end 2021 where it was just like peak bull season. And on Twitter, it just was like the frenzy of that era. So I was kind of seeing it from all sides. So that's kind of how I got involved. Um, I've been doing developer relations for a couple of years. And before that, I was a computer science educator. I taught K-12 computer science for like six years. So I've always loved teaching, coding. I've always loved the education piece. And then when I became an engineer, I was like, oh my God, this is the worst job ever. I want to kill myself. It's so boring. <laughs> like there's no way I can just sit in a, in a room and code for my whole life. Literally, I remember like having... Being sad at the time, being like, this is going to be my job for 30 more years. Like, you just do tickets. Nick, I think we so need boring. to provide a trigger warning. <laughs> we need to provide a trigger warning to our listeners that, like, Cammy's going to bash on engineering. <laughs> that's fine. Engineers bash on engineering all the time. That's like, that's, true. you know, it takes one to know one. Facts. Yeah, and Facts. It, it's, it's not that I'm bashing it. It's just, like, for me and my, I think, interest and personality type, I just was like, I, I'm just too... I think extroverted and like into other types of working that for me that like super traditional like corporate engineering was just like not it for me. And then I discovered what developer relations was while I was at PayPal and there's a whole cute story behind that. But long story short, I ended up doing DevRel and Web2 and then when I joined crypto, that's been the capacity that I've been involved. I've done developer relations at Edgino, which is the team behind the graph. And then I was the head of developer relations at Fuel Labs. And now I work with Rizero. And how I know Connor, just through vibes. I don't really remember exactly how we met. I think we were internet. No, we were definitely internet friends before we were in-person friends. And I think we were internet friends when he maybe joined Celestia, potentially. I think that's when I became aware of Connor. And we met for the first time actually super recently, like a month ago for Research Day in New York. I messaged him and was like, hey, do you want to get breakfast or something? And he was like, yeah. And then we hung out and I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. You're like the most, you're one of my new favorite people in crypto. So that's why now I'm a huge Connor stan, nice. even though we've only really known each other for a short amount of time. Love it. Love, <laughs> Love it. it. Uh, I did not mean, I, I totally get like not wanting to just sit behind the computer as an engineer all day, by the way. I, in college, I was three years into a physics degree and I was like, I can't sit in a dark lab in the basement of some building and like run experiments by myself all day, every day for the rest of my life, I will die. I now realize that like, that's not exactly what being a physicist is. It's like, there's plenty of options. I could have actually just finished my physics degree. Instead, I switched to econ and got into finance and then later got an engineer, like whole, whole thing. But, but absolutely like a lot of my life choices stem around the same type of thing. It's like, Oh, I need people in my life. 
So I, I totally get that. Um, Connor would love to learn about you a bit. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been an engineer. Uh, I, I do engineering uh, for Celestia now. Um, and before that I did engineering at Switchboard, a Solana protocol. Uh, and uh, I've been interested in um, blockchains and cryptocurrencies for a while. I've always been uh, closely following it since back when there were only Bitcoin and altcoins. And then uh, got really into it while I was a student in college. And a bunch of the, a bunch of really cool things were coming out, like like Ethereum and Zcash. And uh, did a bunch of projects, like a bunch of like small little projects while I was a student. And then um, pretty much started working full-time in, in crypto after I finished school. Um, I did an internship with LivePeer, which is an Ethereum protocol. And I did some uh, solo stuff, like some solo like privacy-related projects that didn't really turn into anything uh, before I started at Switchboard. Uh, and I do like engineering. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, especially when you're, when you're at a startup and especially when you're in crypto, the line between engineering and, and DevRel kind of blurs a little bit because my title has always been engineer for all these jobs. But just because you meet a lot of people from the crypto conference circuit and hacker houses and everything, and like they ask you about your protocol and they ask you how to use uh, your 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 stuff, like you sort of have to wear a lot of hats. So like even though I was an engineer and we had a DevRel person and we had a BD person, I just found myself doing a bit of all of that as well, just because you know it's a startup and we all sort of wear many hats. Yeah, it's pure startup uh, life right there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it seems like all the dev route people also do a ton of engineering as well, like a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah maybe that's a good place Can't for confirm. me to jump in and say, uh, I think a common misconception, and it's, it's not that common amongst engineers. It's actually more common amongst non-engineers because I think maybe they don't understand dev as much. So many times in my career... People have asked me things like, for example, when I was at ETH Barcelona last year, I did like a one hour workshop where I spent 20 minutes doing kind of like a spoken presentation and then the last 40 minutes live coding, building something and like talking through how we were building it and why we were doing it and literally live coding. And after uh, this group of guys came up to me like normal and asked questions and whatever. And one of the questions was, whoa, how are you able to build that if you're not an engineer? And I was like, I was like, I don't understand the question. He's like, how are you able to code that if you're not an engineer? And I was like, am I having a stroke? Like, I don't understand. I am an engineer. That's why I was able to build it. Like, I don't understand. And then he was like, oh, really? Like, I thought you were DevRel. And I was like, well, yeah, the first, the first you know, dev in DevRel is developer. Like, the core, <laughs> the key part of your position is being able to build things and having an engineering background. It's just that on the day-to-day, -day, it's not just engineering. I would say it's like, it, it depends from job to job, but it's anywhere from like, you can be building stuff internally like 40% of the time and then doing kind of more BD marketing type thing the rest of the time. Like at Fuel, a lot of our work was building internal products, internal tools. But like to the outside world, maybe it wasn't super obvious because they were internal tools. So yeah, people who are like, oh, 
Devrel. Like, it's just marketing. No, it's not. Okay, yeah. we're engineers too. I studied computer science. I worked that, as an engineer and I code almost every day at work. That's, that's freaking terrible. I hate that that, I hate that that happens. Uh, it, but, but absolutely. I don't think anyone listening to the show thinks that people on the DevRel teams aren't, aren't developers. Um, but I could be wrong. So if you're listening and you don't realize that DevRel folks are uh, engineers, like they are, uh, often really fucking awesome engineers too, right? Uh, like, like you said, Cam, you, that you're often working on like internal tooling. Often you're working on tooling for developers. And so maybe, it, like, maybe it's not the core product. Maybe it's like something around DevX tooling, that sort of thing. Um, but, but definitely, um, definitely, definitely agree with that. Well, uh, well, sweet. Thanks, thanks both for you know giving me some of your background. It sounds like Cami, most of your time in Web three has been spent in on like Ethereum and Ethereum related stuff. Is that correct? And Connor, you've had quite a split. It sounds like uh, you've worked on a bunch of stuff and are ancient in the Web three space compared to the rest of us. It sounds like. Is that right? Oh. Uh... Kind uh, I mean, you know, been been following it closely for a long time. Uh, so when when people say like, uh, all of our new ideas, they all came from the Bitcoin Talk Forum. Like even like the brand new things that people come up with now, are like actually like over a decade old. I remember seeing some of those things on the forums years ago. Uh, like uh, like people talk about. People compare uh, sovereign rollups to drive chains a lot, and like I remember reading about those and how those were going to be the future, like forever ago. Uh, it it sort of uh, I don't know. It sort of is like a deja vu sometimes to uh, all the all the cool things people used to talk about. Yeah, I feel That's like everything cool, in the in the crypto and the blockchain space, it's like it's a constant cycle of a cycle and recycle of ideas. Like every couple of years, the same idea will surface. Someone maybe has a, a new thought or a new spin on like a previous thing of like, here's a, like some random improvement that we can do to, to make it better and make it more usable for users or anything like that. But it's like most ideas are not new ideas. Like take blockchain in general, like blockchain technology has been around since like the eighties and like only until Bitcoin came around, did it really get any amount of, consumer adoption so it's like just a rehash of different ideas with a new spin on it if you can call early bitcoiners like consumer adoption <laughs> like consumer um, consumer ish but 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 no you're you're absolutely right right like we definitely see sort of uh repeat themes every every so often that that being said like things do actually change right sure. um cami yeah. i read your uh substack article last night about account abstraction uh, right. And it's like there were ideas that maybe have been floating around for over a decade, you know, are only just now becoming possible through actual implementations of of some of these things. Right. Um, and and so, like, you know, Connor, I would definitely be curious and maybe this is a, a separate call we can have, but I'd be curious to to get your perspective on like what uh, what themes are just sort of like rehashing the same thing versus what has actually changed over time what what actual improvements have we seen that um that sort of thing but uh i think i think for now what we want to talk about mostly is a little bit of like compare and contrast 
the Solana ecosystem with the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, I I started out my Web3 journey probably not long before you, Cami, um, also in, in the Ethereum side of things mostly, right? So I had a buddy who was like really into, uh, you know, NFTs and sort of like got me into some NFT trading and being being like a developer I sort of instantly went from like, oh, I, trading NFTs, whatever, to like, can I build some tooling around this and and like actually start interacting with with the Ethereum blockchain, um, y- you know? And that sort of led to me taking on crypto clients and that sort of thing, and and which somehow ended up in in me, you know, getting connected with Chase and doing stuff on Solana. So I feel like I've I've been able to experience kind of EVM. Some of the, you know, I did a lot of stuff on Polygon as well uh, and Solana, but I've ne- I don't think I am nearly as deep, maybe as as Yukoner, right? So it's like I'm more application layer, uh, sort of consumer application type of type of stuff. And it sounds like you're more qualified to talk about uh, the guts of of what's happening on each. And Cami, after reading your uh, Substack last night it's like you're also far more qualified than i am to talk about what's actually going on um on ethereum so i'd love to just have a conversation and i'd love to see if we can have this conversation both about the the technical differences but then also like have a conversation about the the community uh what people are building what what you know is better suited to one over the other that that sort of thing that sounds good any any place you want us to start or any prompts? To let's this see. Going? We, I mean, yeah. So, well, it's like, what was going on when we first uh, got connected on Twitter? We, uh, what I was the big debacle, was. Nick? There yeah, was, Nick, it, go. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was scandalous almost. Um, from my understanding, what happened is there was some sort of, uh, whether it was a bug or an attack, I'm not sure, but there was something happened on the Ethereum main chain that caused, um, basically a delay in processing transactions. And what sparked it all is like, I basically tweeted, I was like, so is it downtime? Like, is that how this is classified? As a general question, because I just don't know like anything about Ethereum. So I was like, wait, is this downtime? Like, what are we what are we calling this? And a bunch of people from both the Ethereum ecosystem and the Solana ecosystem were like, no, it's not downtime because of these reasons. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I, I, I know some things now and I would love to know, to, uh, to know more. So that's what kind of like sparked this whole I... thing. Yeah, I think I responded to you saying like we should do a compare and yeah. contrast these things on on the podcast, and and then we tweeted and and uh, got connected with you guys. So so maybe we maybe uh, maybe we start there with like w- either of you who wants to talk about what actually happened <laughs> and and why it's not downtime. That that kind yeah, of thing that might be an okay place to start. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so um, finality is only possible with proof of stake. I think um, with uh, proof of work chains, there is no hard finality. There is probabilistic finality. So on like Bitcoin, when you have a block, uh, it could get overwritten with um, a heavier fork. Um, but the cost of creating a heavier fork than any given block um, increases over time. So if you wait like a few hours or like even longer, like a few days, the cost to um, overwrite a old block becomes unrealistically high, like just too expensive for anyone to ever do. And so 
you can accept it as pretty much guaranteed to be finalized. Um, but on proof of stake, um, you get finality from having two thirds of the stake um, vote on something as finalized. And then because of uh, old computer science distributed systems theorem from the 80s or possibly older about um, about BFT stuff, uh, then you know that um, as long as then, then basically you you know that it's finalized with with certain assumptions about uh, the system um, and it can't be overridden at all. And uh, proof of stake blockchains also have this notion of checkpoints which is uh, some witness about um, like it's, it's like some witness outside the chain that a node syncing uses to um, reach consensus uh, while syncing past blocks. And uh, where was I going to go with that? Um, Ethereum has a, uh, a liveness favoring fork choice rule layered on top of a safety favoring finality gadget. And so uh, if it has less than two thirds of the stake voting, the chain still progresses, but it reverts to a um, proof of work like uh, probabilistic finality. So blocks are still being added to the chain and uh, the cost to revert a block increases over time, but it doesn't have that hard finality. It loses that hard, hard finality temporarily until uh, two thirds of the stake comes back online. And it also has this mechanism called the inactivity leak where uh, validators that stop voting uh, get some of their stake slowly burned um, as the chain progresses to help the network heal so that it can get back to that two thirds and start finalizing blocks again. But uh, even without finality, uh, it's still pretty reliable and trustworthy and blocks still get produced at a uh, consistent rate. And so uh, there weren't any reorgs during that period where finality uh, lapsed on Ethereum uh, recently. Um, and so there wasn't really any uh, UX issues or security issues as a result of that. So uh, I would say that it was not an outage. Can, so one, that was a phenomenal uh yeah, super, like super summary of, yeah. of what happened can i can i repeat back to you what i think you, you said uh to make sure like we're all on the same page oh yeah yeah please so so uh my understanding from what you just said is uh ethereum used to be entirely proof of work now since the merge it's proof of stake in its current proof of stake model it basically has a fail safe where if less than two thirds of uh, of the nodes are voting, then we can no longer achieve quote unquote finality because we need two thirds, and so we roll back to our previous or at least some version of of proof of work, so that we can continue to add blocks. We can continue. It's, it's to... not. It's not proof of work. It's a liveness favoring proof of stake. Okay. So it so it doesn't actually change it doesn't actually change the consensus mechanism, but it rolls back to something similar to that where there's no where there's no finality, um, yeah. and the and and new blocks are simply uh, they're like optimistically well, confirmed not... effectively, like you're like hoping well, like the, the that's in... the the majority of the the remaining stake that's online is still voting and the majority of that 
less than this, the actual like full two thirds that's required for, for maximum consensus. But those are still voting and like they hit some threshold of like the majority of whatever's remaining is saying that these are still good blocks. So the chain will continue to progress. Is that like the gist of it? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, the the algorithm is called LMD Ghost Latest Message Driven Greedy Heaviest Observed Subtree. And there are casually like, off the blocks, top of your head, sure, sure. Yeah. Blocks <laughs> um, blocks get passed around by the block proposers, and uh, people validators who see the blocks attest to the blocks. And so uh, you might observe five different blocks at the same height. And uh, your full node will accept the one that has like the most stake attesting to it. So that might be like, that could be as low as like 5%. So like you could have five blocks and like four of them have zero attestations and one of them has attestations from 5% of the stake. And if that's all you see, then you accept the one that has 5%. So even if a ton of the validators are offline, um, you have a block that you can accept as true. And then you might see more blocks being built um, as a chain on top of that. But of course, if then 10% of the stake comes back online and votes for a different one, and then uh, the hev the heaviest block is um, has more than 5%, then you would have like a reorg. I might be getting that kind of wrong because there's some sort of synchronicity assumption introduced as well. I think that's what the LMD part, latest message driven, relates to, but uh, I, don't, I don't have a great understanding of that part. But... Uh, you don't have finality, but because uh, because like more stake can come back online and then like vote to rewind and reorg what you're seeing, uh, and you want finality, obviously because that's not great. Like we don't like that it can revert, but uh, you know if you have like almost two thirds, if you have like sixty five percent attesting to a block, that's probably not going to reorg. Uh, and like it still like works. It's it's a uh, and it's it's a uh, you know finality is great, but like there was a time before we had finality at all, right? Like Bitcoin has no finality. A lot of people really like Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> so like it's not the end of the world to temporarily lose it, especially if you have a way to get it back. Got it. Got okay. it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it it sounds like it's so it it's not it's not that it's a non-issue, right? Um, because it because it can result in you thinking a, a transaction is valid only to find out when you know nodes come back online that that transaction wasn't valid right there's a reorg such that you know the transaction you thought was in is is no longer in that is correct right oh yeah it could happen yeah and that's that's it, why you want you want finality yeah yeah but what you're saying is is the the way that Ethereum has been created, um, or the way that it functions now, sort of optimizes for let's let's keep the train moving, as opposed mm. to let's let's stop the train, uh, in in order you know and, until we get everyone back online, which it, you know I think I think uh, hopefully this plays into a theme that I that I you know want to see throughout this conversation, which is there isn't necessarily a better or worse in absolute terms it's what is it better for right and it sounds like in this case that right like that design pattern is one that is better for the chain continues to continues moving it keeps working 
it doesn't yeah i think uh consensus protocols is one of the few remaining places in blockchain design where there are actually trade-offs remaining that some people might prefer one over the other for different use cases uh it's also like it's also possible that you might even be able to add um like a live misfavoring fallback or an inactivity leak to like um safety favoring protocols like solana or to tendermint i don't i don't know i think it's 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 I don't see why you couldn't like add a, a live misfavoring layer to those to deal with um, like these finality outages. Maybe you could. Uh, not really my expertise, but uh, oh, and there's also it's also worth mentioning there's some proof of stake chains that are just live misfavoring. So there's like Ouroboros, like what Cardano uses. I I'm not don't don't quote me on this, but I I think with that there isn't really finality. And uh, like they're just very, very liveness favoring and could potentially have reorgs like all the time. Well, that's interesting. interesting. When, um, so it's like I, I have not been super embedded in the Ethereum community over the last year or year and change. Um, so I'm, I'm curious when this sort of thing happens. Uh, like I, I know I know how the Solana ecosystem reacts when something happens on the Solana blockchain. I'm curious from a community perspective, could be technical, but also just what are the vibes in Ethereum? What what goes on in the Ethereum community uh, when when this sort of thing happens? Oh, so I think they had they probably had like sort of a war room kind of thing. I, I'm just get I, I wasn't part of this at all, but uh, I heard that what happened was one of the consensus clients was uh like doing something that was ddosing all the other consensus clients and so only lighthouse was working and like prism was down and some of the other consensus clients were were bugging um and so they just put it they just like the team that was responsible pushed a fix and uh now like all the consensus clients are resilient against whatever caused that cool from a from a community standpoint cami what's what's happening when when this sort of thing happens what were the vibes the vibes were i mean these are just the vibe check from twitter obviously like that's kind of the only reference that i have but i remember that's where i get my vibe check too so that's yeah (laughs) i remember specifically joe was the first person i saw like panicking on the timeline or like the first person that i saw that like noticed and said something and just after that, my feed was just full of people. And, and to your point, that's how we met, like people from both the Ethereum ecosystem and the Solana ecosystem giving their take on what happened or giving kind of their analysis or giving whatever. I think mostly people were like concerned. For, for me, at least a vibe check is like, if someone like Joe is concerned, I'm concerned. Joe is a lot more like, I would say in the weeds and a lot more experienced in Ethereum and in blockchain in general. And although Just I real think quick, he calls... who's this? Can you give some context oh, on this Joe person? Who's who is Joe? Yes, Joe is an amazing person. Um, Joe is a VC at Framework, and he's a good friend. And okay. we both used to live in the Bay Area together, so we would hang out. So that's how that's kind of the context. And I was saying, like, I think he would call himself non-technical because, you know, I don't know. He he. Never, I think, was a proper engineer, but I wouldn't consider him someone non-technical. He's very technical. So the vibe check was like, if someone like Joe is concerned and is like, oh, fuck, what the fuck's going on? I'm concerned and everyone else is concerned. So that was the vibe. 
can Got confirm. It. Joe Joe is very cool. Nice. Yeah, Connor was Connor. nodding his head when you were talking about how technical Joe actually yeah, is. So he is. Connor, was this the first time this has happened since the merge? Uh, I think yes. Um, I also think the inactivity leak actually got triggered. I might be wrong about that. I heard, I heard it was, uh, which had not happened. Or I might I, again. I, I don't. I don't really know. Um, I, I, I don't actually work in the EP ecosystem. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, I, I don't know. I a lot of. It was definitely going to happen eventually. Like it's, uh, um, it was sort of inevitable. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to see uh, how long it took and how well it worked. Honestly, um, like it was cool to see to see the mechanism like actually activated on, on mainnet and uh, kick in, and we could really see like what happens during a finality outage. Yeah, so it's 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 always good to see like these types of more or less safety features that are like built into a protocol built into the chain where it's like great they work they did what they're supposed to and it's like it was tested in production like that's always a good thing to see that like it worked in production you're like call that a win <laughs> i want to i want to take a quick break from the from the technical discussion and talk um and talk i mean we've briefly mentioned the vibes on ethereum i want to talk about the cross chain vibes during an event like this uh i think all of us know that it can get a little uh, spicy, heated, maybe. Yeah, like, like is 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 the phrase, which I personally think is unfortunate. Um, you, you know, like I, I think I think this sort of event happens, and people start pointing the finger often as as like, see, bad things happen over there too, that kind of thing. In instead of like uh, feeling like we're all in this together, somewhat. Um, I'm I'm curious one like I'm not crazy I'm thinking that this happens right like we we all agree and then two uh is is there something we can we can do to influence how these separate communities interact with each other to make it more positive Okay yeah I don't think you're crazy definitely happens I do think that in the last like 6 months and maybe even more that I've seen people from both sides. I think when, at least for me, when I first joined the space, it was much more rigid in the way people thought about ecosystems. It was very much like versus type of thinking and very like tribal, very like, very tribal, very maximalist. And I really do think that in the last like six-ish months, there's been a shift. At least I'm speaking from the Ethereum side where I spend the vast majority of my time. I've only just recently kind of started dabbling in Solana, but I imagine it's kind of a similar vibe there. Where people are now having a lot more nuanced takes and discussions on the trade-offs and not just being like, I'm a maxi and, and like Ethereum is the best because like XYZ reason. And I think even like a lot of the leaders and a lot of the like really smart people in the Ethereum ecosystem have some very public conversations on Twitter all the time now talking about this kind of stuff. And you can see a total shift in the way that they even speak to each other and even the willingness to have these types of conversations where I think, at least when I joined, you, I, at least I didn't see like the people that I would consider like the kind of researchers pushing the bounds and like the smartest engineers having these types of conversations out in the open. I think it was a lot more tribalist a couple, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. Connor, do you think that's an accurate vibe check? Yeah, um, that's that sounds pretty accurate. Uh, I think it's worth knowing that 
when engineers get together and hang out in real life, none of that uh, division or tribalism exists whatsoever. We all just want to like talk about cool problems we're working on. Uh, we help each other work through problems. Uh, there's never any sort of beef whatsoever. Like when, when Ethereum engineers get together with Solana or Cardano or Cosmos engineers at all, it, it sort of becomes, it gets heated online when uh, people, influencer accounts who hold huge bags of things and whose uh, like money depends on like other things failing and their things succeeding start fights and then engineers get dragged into it because then it sounds like your your hard work is being flooded, not necessarily your bags, but like something that you're passionate about and put a lot of time into like actually working on. And then like you see somebody who's like, oh, this thing is hopeless. This thing is doomed. This is going to fail. This sucks. And it's like, all right, I don't even have bags of this. I just like work on it. This is this is my project. And then like then it kind of hurts and then it gets emotional and then people fight. But like the real the real like builders who are actually working on these things and putting them together like don't have any will ill will towards each other whatsoever that is an important thing for all of us to remember sometimes i think especially because things do get a little climate <laughs> yeah look i mean things do get crazy on like twitter sometimes so that's a connor that's like a really i think important thing to remember uh cammy you mentioned you feel like things have shifted a little bit in the last six months. I'm curious if you have any theories as to the cause of that shift, right? Like, is it just, I have one theory, bear market, bear market empathy is like, you, you know what I mean? Like we're all down, so we may as well be friends or like, like what do you think has caused that shift? Honestly, maybe it has a little bit to do with the bear market, but not in the sense that bags are down, but maybe in the sense that a lot of these kind of like um, polarizing influencers have maybe left or are not as like active or maybe just don't have as much mind share anymore. So it doesn't feel like they're around as much. That's kind of one, one thing. And I think uh, the other is there's just been a cultural shift, at least in the Ethereum ecosystem. And it's great that Connor's here because I think Celestia and the team had a really big part in kind of like shaping that culture, I would say, and, and being like, they live, they're literally their tagline is modularism, not maximalism. And I think, although it's just a tagline and like whatever, it's like a marketing campaign. I really do think that it had a pretty big impact on the ecosystem in general and getting people to think more broadly about this as a as a technical spec as for what it is versus like an ideology or a like cult. Can you repeat that tagline again? I, I like missed it a little bit. Modularism. Modular is something modularism not maximalism got it got it i do love that that is great <clears throat> i think one of the things that's kind of aided with the shift was if you think back you, you said it was like about six months ago you started to see the shift there was a semi-infamous tweet in the solana community where vitalik actually tweeted something to the effect of like wow solana's doing cool things this is pretty interesting we should look into more of that and it was like once like Vitalik tweeted it, it, it's, it was kind of like a, a one of those turning points, honestly, where it's like, because Vitalik, he, he seems like an amazing person, like from every conversation I've heard him have and like people that I have heard allegedly have like had conversations with him in person. He just seems like a very chill person. He just like doesn't really participate in like the, the 
tribalism and the maximalism. He's just like, yeah, I'm an engineer and I, I have big thoughts and I, I share those thoughts and yep, that's about it. He's not like a polarizing he, person as an individual. And like Anatoly is the same way where it's like, he's just like, a, we have thoughts and Anatoly is just like battling off people on Twitter. Um, but I think that was kind of one of the turning points where it's the, the broader Ethereum and, and assorted um, layer two uh, ecosystems were kind of like took that cue of like, oh, maybe it is interesting. Maybe we should actually look into it and understand more of what's going on, not just the, the FUD that we all see on, on Twitter and, and in the traditional press about you know, anything blockchain for the most part. Well, to, to Connor's point, like Vitalik and Tolly's interactions on, on Twitter always, you know, kind of confirm what Connor said that like devs just want to build cool stuff. Yeah. yeah you know? absolutely. And they just want to like talk about, they just want to like talk about fun ideas and, and like, you know, experiment. Uh, I've, I've never seen, I've never seen them fight before, you, you know, like they're both incredibly civil and, and seem to have like genuine respect for each other, which is, uh, is awesome. And the whole, and you know, hopefully everyone down the chain feels, feels similarly. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that tweet. That was, that was uh, a good tweet. That was a cool one. <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to shift gears a little bit from talking about the more technical of things and, and like the, yeah, the technical sides of ETH versus uh, Solana. But I want to talk more about like the developer experience and the developer relations side of it. I think like generally... Like what would, for, for Cammy and Connor, what would you kind of say is that like the biggest difference for the developer experience between uh, Solana and Ethereum is? I would say at least today, maybe my answer would be different when I first joined like a year and a half ago, but I think the tooling and kind of like, yeah, the tooling around developing on Solana is maybe a, still a little bit more difficult to get up and running with. It's a little bit more, there's like a, a I think more friction points, at least coming from myself, who's, you know, has been in Ethereum and then recently started building on Solana, it just felt like there was a lot of pieces missing. And, and I think there just are a lot of pieces missing. And I think it's fine that Solana is an ecosystem that's a lot younger, hasn't been around as long. So I think it's obvious that it wouldn't be kind of on par. And then the other thing that struck me as difficult, honestly, at first, and it's still something that I, I feel like I have to spend a lot of mental resources preparing before I write code for Solana, is just a completely different programming paradigm that you have to keep in mind. Um, I think the way I would summarize it is, and like, you know, in, in college and in like your first job or whatever, they tell you this is what you're supposed to do anyway, but I don't think you really do it. But it's like, I think when I'm building on Solana, I have to like sit down with a piece of paper and like really, really think about what I'm going to build because of some of the constraints that exist for on writing programs for Solana. Whereas on Ethereum, yes, you maybe have to do this to optimize and make gas optimizations. But like generally, at least for me, I'm not building like production grade things on mainnet. So I personally don't really care too much about making optimizations for gas. But on Solana, it's not a matter of like saving a couple bucks. It's just like, Will it fit? Will you physically be able to write this program? So I think that's the biggest difference in developer experience is just like the way I think you kind of have to front load a lot of the planning in a much more like you just have to really think about stuff a lot harder. I think when you're building on Solana versus Ethereum. 
Connor, what's your what's your take? I think I know it's different because I think, like I said, I don't really build production grade things, so maybe I have a different take versus someone who is. Oh, uh, I haven't done Solidity or EVM in like at least five years, and I've done uh, SVM stuff, Solana contracts, much more recently. Um, I worked on uh, an anchor code base for like over a year full time, uh, and I much prefer writing Solana contracts than EVM contracts. Um, I think it's there's probably way more tutorials and courses and maybe even tooling around the EVM. Uh, I think it's probably way easier to like get introed and onboarded to the EVM, or that's how it would seem from just how many young devs seem to always be starting their EVM journey constantly. Um, and Rust is a little bit of a hard language, uh, but um, I was really into Rust. Uh, I always liked Rust for doing like off-chain uh, stuff, just like as a general purpose language. Uh, and so I was I was excited to dive into Rust for Solana. Um, first thing I worked on was rewriting the switchboard code base from non-Anchor Rust to Anchor Rust. And... Uh, you know, even even for someone who had done a lot of rough before, that was that was chicken scratch to me. Reading reading a Solana code base with a without anchor was like hieroglyphics. Uh, it is <laughs> it's it's just like a very batteries not included, like it's low level. It's fucking nuts, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It has like just a, a very like uh, unfamiliar embedded programming model. Um, and then like even but like I had to you know you have to try that to like appreciate anchor. Kind of like how I think people who jump into React to learn like front end development are going to have a harder time if they haven't tried to do front end development without React, just because like you want to like learn a little bit about like the HTML document object model, you want to learn a little bit about like vanilla JavaScript and why it's hard to do certain things. Um, I think you a dev should try to do something without Anchor in Solana before they try to use Anchor. Uh, and I remember uh, at a Solana Hacker House like last year, um, Jerry Zhao was giving a introduction on how to code for Solana. And even though Anchor was out and was mature, he was teaching all the people at the Hacker House how to do it without Anchor first. Um, and then even with Anchor, it still is a little bit clunky for someone who, uh, especially someone who doesn't have Rust experience. But when I was rewriting uh, Switchboard using Anchor, the Anchor Discord was popping. Uh, there were always people in there who would just immediately answer any question you had and just fix any error that you copy pasted. Like Armani was in there and he would respond to my messages a lot. And uh, a lot of the errors were really unhelpful or, or like um, misnomers. Like the errors would tell you the wrong problem. It would say like um, something like, I don't know, the account discriminator is wrong when the error would actually be related to like something with your zero copy serialization. Uh, and, uh, there would always be somebody in that discord, like during 2021, who would just immediately be like, oh, that's this problem. That's this problem. And, uh, it is, it is very hard to get that. If you're like a new, a new language or a new blockchain, it's very hard to like get people in the discord who will just, um, be knights in shining armor for all the new devs who are struggling. Uh, I tried Nier, and I was having a lot of problems with Nier, and I would ask for help in the Discord, and just no one would get back to me. I had to figure it all out myself. 
even though Nier is a way easier programming model than Solana, like I was more productive in Solana just because of how many how much resources were available. That's uh, everything. Everything both of you said drives with my my experience, right? Like, I feel like anyone with any kind of object oriented programming experience uh, writing an EVM contract is fairly straightforward maybe not production you know worthy and and optimized and and that sort of thing but it's like you can jump in and it's like oh yeah i'm basically just creating a class cool done right uh a little bit easier to cowboy code that one whereas like you said cammy when i have to think through the solana programming model it that model forces me as a developer to think about more things and so there's like a couple of blockers it's one one is like if you don't know Rust, Rust is probably a slightly trickier language for for some people. So like Rust is maybe one hurdle for some, some people, and then the Solana programming model itself forcing devs to make uh, optimizations beforehand and and make those trade offs. And native Solana development is incredibly challenging. Like just hard stop. I can't like there's nothing I can say beyond that. Uh, and Connor, I so agree that it's like you have to feel that pain to fully appreciate Anchor. Uh, the Solana course that that we've developed is like two, four lesson modules of of native uh, Solana development before before Anchor for for that reason. Um, and maybe that's not even enough, right? Like it's uh it, it's huge to like know how things are working under the hood, but uh. You, it's I, super interesting to hear you say that you actually prefer uh, Solana development, Connor. I'm curious, like, is it just because it feels like you're exercising your brain more, or do you, or or do you like what you can do with it more? Like, what is what is it that makes you actually actually prefer what I would call the harder path? Um. Well, so. Um. You know, obviously don't launch a smart contract for production use without getting it audited by a professional. But um, I think it is way easier to write a Solana contract without security bugs than a Ethereum contract without security bugs because uh, a, the, the common like security pitfalls in EVM seem to be things that are not intuitive. Like you're, if you write a contract in Solidity that you think makes sense, probably going to be full of Solidity, it's probably going to be full of security bugs after your first pass because the pitfalls are not obvious but in like anchor um most of the code that you write is the constraints on on like the uh, account inputs for the account list and uh it's really easy to just like reason about who's who's supposed to be able to do what actions and like what's supposed to be mutable like what what accounts change and like uh, who's authorized to change the state of these accounts. Uh, and I think it's way easier to just reason about like security with um, that model. Uh, and then also the Rust compiler, I think is probably better than the Solidity compiler because you always see these people doing crazy gas optimizations uh, with Solidity where they'll like, I don't know, they'll like add a few lines of inline EVM assembly into a Solidity contract to save some gas. And a lot of those things seem like the kind of things that the compiler should do for you. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not a compiler's expert, but it, it seems that way. And then, like, we know that the Rust compiler is really good because 
uh, it's been worked on by a lot of uh, optimizers who know how to do those kinds of things really well. Interesting. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's nice to hear your take because even even though you know the vast majority of of Web three work I do is on Solana, I I probably would choose the easier route and and say like I'd rather write an Ethereum contract than a than a Solana contract. Um, but your point about security is interesting, right? Because I definitely don't I don't think about security as often when I write an Ethereum contract because I don't feel like I'm forced to. And so I probably am making, I probably am exposing security risks that I'm not even aware of. Whereas on Solana, I, it's like uh, the way, like you said, the way Anchor is structured sort of forces me to think about that as I'm laying out my accounts um, and, and, and setting constraints for those. So that's, uh, yeah, interesting. It's uh, security is the most important thing for smart contract development because, like, otherwise they're just minimal web backends. They're not that hard. It's it's not hard to write a a smart contract. It's hard. It's very hard to write a secure smart contract. Tagline of the episode, right there. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we might need an episode to go deep into security. Uh, this is because uh, now I now I now I want to like do a deep dive on on sort of the the assumptions people make about the security of Ethereum smart contracts versus Solana smart contracts, but that may be a rabbit hole um, for, for where we're at right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, but, our, our next episode that we're doing after this is with um, a Solana security auditor. So we'll answer at least the Solana oh, questions true. on that. And then we'll have to find <laughs> someone uh, who, who can talk intelligently to like the Ethereum side and maybe someone who can like compare and contrast them both. That'll be, that'll be a good episode. Um, uh, we're, we're coming close to time here. And the last thing I wanted to e ask each of you and like, James, you can, e you can also chime in with this, but I think you've already answered this question before, but for Cami and Connor, if you were to start blockchain development right now, which like programming paradigm, which chain would you choose? And like, how would you go about learning that chain? And would you even choose to go like a multi-chain path of learn Ethereum and Solana? And then go that way and, and learn them in tandem. Would you do one after the other? What 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 methodology would you would uh, would each of you take? I think I actually tweeted this like two days ago. I think it kind of depends. At least for someone like myself, who my mo is all around making blockchain and crypto useful for everyday people, and like that's kind of my personal mission. I wouldn't say I'm one of those people who is maybe more of like a hacker, indie hacker type person who just really enjoys like hacking things together and really enjoys kind of the process of experimenting and building. I would say I'm much more driven by like outcomes for people. So my answer, I think, is a lot more based in that. And I would say based on my specific interests, which maybe we can link it in the episode. I wrote a post last year, maybe yeah. like eight months ago now, called The Dead End of Eurocentric Crypto that basically gives my thesis on why I think Latin America should be center stage for when we think about building products, how we invest our capital, our attention, et cetera. And basically positing that like, uh, if we continue to focus on the West, on Europe and North America, it'll be really hard for us to innovate because we don't have a lot of necessity. There's not a lot of place for innovation yeah, to be born agreed. because we kind of have all the minimum viable financial services, access, et cetera. 
So for me, I'm really driven by this region and just that opportunity. So for me, I would say Solana, surprisingly, because although it's more difficult for me to build and I don't have as much experience and et cetera, et cetera, the trade-offs that it makes is like, people can actually use it. It's actually usable and it's in a place where the UX feels reasonable for an everyday person to use. An everyday person that is making, you know, $100 a month total, you know, on a good month to be able to use a blockchain reasonably and and not say like, hey, I know it's going to cost you the equivalent of, of like a lunch every time you do a transaction. Like for me, that's just not within the bounds of reality. So again, maybe my answer is different because it's not based on what I enjoy or what I would personally feel best like physically coding, but more of like my outcome of getting people to use it. I would say Solana because of the trade-offs it makes around cost and speed. Now, if we're talking solely on like enjoyment and like learning and whatever, I would probably choose Ethereum EVM just because there's a lot more learning resources out there. I think the, it's just a lot easier to get up and running these days at least. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Two things. One, you mentioned indie hackers. I love me indie hackers. They're awesome. Two, uh, I, not only South America, but Africa as well. I was talking with um, Colin. He's on the DevRel team. He's uh, from the UK and, and Sierra Leone, Africa. And like the problems that like the continent of Africa has, that the, the West just does not have to face these problems. And I imagine, I don't have as much context, but I imagine South America is very, very similar. The quote unquote traditional financial rails. Well, with just like, uh, like Asia did with uh, desktop and mobile, they basically skipped desktop computing and went straight to mobile. I think that's going to happen with South America and with, with Africa largely, where it's like they're basically going to skip the quote unquote traditional financial rails and go straight to blockchain. But uh, Connor, nice. what is your answer to the question, I guess? Um, for like what stack to build on if I was going to make just an app? Sure. If you were going to get started today, like you're, you're new to blockchain, what would you recommend someone do? And it, you don't have to say Solana, like you don't have to at all, if, it, unless that's your actual, uh, your actual opinion. <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, I guess, I guess if we're talking about like just basic apps and not like really low level stuff, I was going to say, if you're like really curious and technical and ambitious, I would say, uh, try to do something crazy on Celestia. Try to make a roll up that has some that has some weird some weird new properties that uh, you want to try out that wouldn't make sense to try out on a brand new chain. Uh, make a VM. Uh, I don't know. Get into zk. Write some hyperplot circuits by hand. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, there's a I don't know. There's a, there's a I also would want to try out some cool and weird stuff, like some cool weird new stuff that's coming out. Uh, I would want to learn Noir. Noir looks really cool. It's Aztec's uh, language for writing like contracts with privacy. Um, just saw a talk on that. Would love to test that out sometime. Try making some apps that have like shielded uh, state. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Solana is really fun to mess around with, and it's pretty easy to get a boilerplate going. Uh, if you want to just make an app that's like really easy to use. Um, any, any, any VM that you write for, you can copy and paste to like, uh, any other, like, you know, you could probably figure out some way to run an SDM contract on Ethereum or you can run an EVM contract on Solana. There's Neon. I don't know, whatever, you, whatever you want, whatever you have resources available to learn, you should, you should use. I, uh, I find I, your answer, your answer very interesting for one, 
there is actually a, a large project in the works um, to basically make it so you can use Solidity to program to make programs on Solana. So that'll be interesting when that like hits. Um, but I think your answer is super interesting where it's like, you wouldn't necessarily just choose ETH or Solana or Ethereum or Solana as like the, the, the bigger chains, the more popular chains, you would go the route of try even one of the smaller ones and just tinker around and see what those are about. So I, I think that's super interesting. Con- yeah, people Connor make new... is like a, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, People make new uh, new things for a reason, right? Like uh, a lot of the time when people make something new, they're trying to solve a new or unique problem. And like, you should look into it and see if it's something you vibe with. Yeah, love that. That's cool. That's cool. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks to both of you for, for joining yeah, us. Any like, so much. last minute thing you want to say to folks listening? Anything you want to shill before we wrap? No, nothing for me. Thanks for having us on. All right, awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much, guys. It was uh, yeah. it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining for those us. Listening, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.